All right, we're wrapping up our message series on the stars this week. We've been looking at how God has used stars in different ways throughout the scriptures. Uh, first week, we looked at how they're clues to his existence, identity, and character. Second week, how he used them as symbols of a promise that he made to Abraham that we're a part of. We're a part of the purpose and plan that was contained in that promise. Next week, how they're metaphors of a Christ follower's role in the world. Uh, last week, we looked ahead to the day when there will be no more uh, sun or stars, which the sun is a star, but there will be no more because God himself will provide the light uh, for us. Today, we're going to look at very unique moment in history, and God used a star as a navigation system, sort of an ancient GPS in the Christmas story. The Bible, all, all through it, consistently shows us how God is pursuing us and drawing us to himself. And what he did in uh, the Christmas story is he arranged a star to guide the Magi, who are known uh, more popularly as the wise men, he used a star to guide them to the place where Jesus was to worship him. Uh, and this is what God does. He arranges things in our lives to do the same, to draw us into a relationship with him. He loves us. He pursues us. He goes to great lengths to, to connect with us, to, to help us get back into a relationship with him. My, my brother-in-law... Uh, was in the army for a while, and then he was in business working uh, with the government on different things. And um, he, one thing I appreciate about my brother-in-law, he was in town, so I was thinking about that this week. He he always went out of his way to visit my parents. When he was in the army, at the last part, he was a tank commander for a while, and he would go to the National Training Center in Barstow. And he'd call me and want me to pick him up so I could take him to my parents' house so he, he could visit them. I, you know, he'd get in the car, he'd be dusty, he'd be just out of the field, you know, he'd be all in his army stuff, and we'd drive to see my parents because they're important to him. When he was on business uh, in the area, he, many times in, in several years, he worked in San Diego. He'd fly into Ontario, he'd stay at my parents' house and drive to San Diego uh, to, to do his work. He did this because he loved, the other thing he did is he'd call me every once in a while, hey, where's the nearest in and out to where I'm at? I mean, you know, this kind of guy he is, he's just trying, trying to find stuff. But, you know, he was, he was a pretty well-connected guy and ran in some pretty important circles, but my parents did nothing for his career. But he valued them. They were important to him. So he really went out of his way to get time with them, to be where they were, to show honor to them. God has made a remarkable statement in the Christmas story by Jesus coming into our world, by God visiting us here on earth in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. He has made a remarkable statement of our worth, our value to him, how much he loves us and how he's willing to pursue us. And what we're going to look at today is how he used a star 
to guide the wise men to, to where he was so that they could return honor back to the God who made them, to the one who's loved them. If we get in the Wayback Machine and go back to the beginning of time, which we're able to do through the scriptures, uh, in Genesis 1, we find that God made the stars to mark seasons, times, and to use as signs. And it says in 114 of Genesis, it says, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. So God created time, and he used these things to mark the beginning and end of days, weeks, years. And so he uses these things as uh, signs and markers, milestones. Luke 21, 25, Jesus tells us that God uses, he gives us signs in the sun, moon, and stars. He says there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. He's looking ahead to the end of time and pointing out that there are going to be signs in the skies of what's happening. Did you ever play Light Bright? Did you ever play with Light Bright? I would, I, you know, I'm not that creative, but I like to put the little peg. It's a little, it's a blackboard. Here's a picture. It's a, it's a blackboard. You put the little peg in it and it lights up and there's different colors and you can draw pictures and, uh, you, you could make a picture like that one or you could write a message on the board. Well, the idea of the Light Bright puts this verse in the scale for me because what it's saying is, what you find is God is using the skies, the heavens, as a light bright. He's, give, he's writing messages to us. He's giving us signs. And he's, he's showing us what's going on. And we're going to take a look at some fascinating things today that show how that is. But God takes the stars and he sends messages with us, sort of arranges them. The heavens reveal the promise and plan of our Maker. That's what you find in Scripture. First week of this series... I talked about, um, I guess my mic is having problems, so I'm going to use this one as well. Um, the first week of this series, I was talking about how people tend to look uh, to the stars as controlling their lives, guiding their lives. They look for guidance from the stars. They, they um, try to uh, read into them what they're saying. The Bible warns against that kind of thing, that we're, we're not to look to creation itself, but beyond it to the one who made creation, the one who made the world and everything in it. And instead of trusting creation, we're to worship the one behind it all. Listen to Job 9. Job 9 says, He is the maker of the bear and the Orion, the Pleiades and the constellations of the south. Orion is the hunter. It's the constellation that's the hunter. Pleiades are seven sisters. Uh, in another passage, he says, in Job 38, he says, uh, Can you bind the beautiful Pleiades? Only someone with infinite power can do that, can hold the constellation in place. Can you loose the cords of Orion? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? What, what this is saying is that God arranged the stars and he set the entire universe in motion. He put them where they are. Isaiah 40 says, Lift up your eyes. Look to the heavens. Who created all these? 
He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name, because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. At a crucial time in history, God arranged the heavens and set them to communicate to us. And we're going to look how that is. In, in the Christmas story, you find that God used a brilliant star to light a path to a newborn king. Uh, let's dig into the Christmas story, at least right after the birth of Christ. Let's, let's see what it says here in Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Um, the word Magi, the, the name Magi, it's, we get our word magician from it, but that doesn't really describe uh, who they were or what they did. Um, the way we understand magicians, very different than, than this word. The magi in the first century were philosophers, priests, or astronomers. So you, you can understand why they were paying attention to the stars in the sky. They lived pe- chiefly in uh, Persia and Arabia. They were learned men of the eastern nations. They were devoted to astronomy, to religion, and to medicine. And they were held in high esteem by the Persian courts. The kings and the leaders of the countries would use them as counselors. They followed the camps into war many times to give guidance and counsel during the war. And so these are these magi, they're the ones that are known now as the wise men in the, in the, that we refer to in the Christmas story. So it would make sense that they're following a star. They're paying attention to the heavens. And what you see happening in this story that we just read is on a sweeping scale, God has arranged things in a way in, in the world that would build anticipation for his son's arrival, for Jesus' arrival in the world. It, 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 what was happening is there was a great ex- expectation throughout the entire world and throughout the East that a ruler would arise from Judea. Uh, this expectation probably grew out of the fact that the Jewish people were exiled to Babylon for a time. And they had uh, not been following God's ways. They had not been worshiping him. They had been worshiping other gods. And so God, uh, as a good father does, disciplined them. He scattered them through the east. And particularly, they went in exile to Babylon. And while we're, they were there, they would tell the stories. They would tell the story of the anticipation of the coming king, the Messiah, who is going to come to be the savior of the world. So this expectation began to grow throughout that entire region and throughout the, the known world at the time. The Roman historian Suetonius wrote this, Throughout the whole of the East, there had spread an old and persistent belief. Destiny had decreed that at that time, men coming forth from Judea would seize power and rule the world. So they had this anticipation, this expectation. So it's interesting. This is how God works. He's, he's disciplining his children of Israel and scattering them for their disobedience. He sends them into exile and he uses them to create this sense of anticipation. So... The men from the east, the magi, they're asking, where is 
the, the king of the Jews. Where is he to be born? That's amazing. Only God can arrange history and, and the skies like this. Let's read on. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. This, this king would be a threat. This, this baby that was born to be king would be a threat to Herod's reign, and he intended to violently oppose him, to take him out as soon as possible. When he, called, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Micah wrote this in the 8th century, but you, Bethlehem, uh, 8th century B.C., but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means at least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be my shepherd of my people Israel. The religious leaders, it's interesting, they know the facts, it's academic to them, however, they don't follow the wise men to find the baby and worship him. They just give the facts and they go on with their lives. It says, Herod then called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. Uh, this was a lie. He wasn't ever going to worship the baby. He was going to go deal with the threat to his throne. After they heard the king, the Magi, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Uh, interesting, it stopped. And I found, as I was getting ready for this message, that if you map the stars, they have a program now that you can, you can go back to any date in history and you can map the movement of the stars. I don't know who put that data into the software program, but that's incredible. That's a lot of data. But you can go back to any date in the history, and if you watch the movement of the stars, what's happening is they appear to stop and reverse direction at times, stop and go back. So this, this star stopped over Bethlehem. And um, it says when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They, they had been expecting the birth of this baby, and their hope had been realized in him, and it created an, an amazing sense of joy. This is what hopes realized do. It brings joy. When you realize a hope of something, you, you experience joy. The, these men were from the east. They were not from Israel. This is a, a, another clue that shows us how important the entire world is to God. They're all on his heart. Every, every person made uh, uh, that lives on this earth, every person that is here, we're all important to God. And he was, Israel were his people, but he was trying to reach to the world through Israel and bring the world to himself. But the fact that these magi were coming to worship is another instance of the fact that, you know, God loves everyone on the face of the earth. Um, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So they ditched Herod, went around by another way. At Christmas, 
what we can do is we, we, can, we can live in awe of God's power, his kindness, and his humility to step into our world and connect us to himself. This, this is the response of the Magi. They came, they worshipped him. They gave him gifts. And this is the right response when we realize what God has done to connect us in a relationship with him. Worship that flows into giving him our lives and presenting our resources to him to be used in any way he sees fit for his purpose. We put ourselves at his disposal. In this story, we see how God arranges the stars and our lives. He's, he's arranging history to create this sense of anticipation, and he's arranging stars to land in just the right place to point to the birth of his son, Jesus. And he's doing this to draw people to himself. John 6.44 says, No one, this is Jesus talking, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I don't know if you watch the TV show The Middle. I, I, I don't usually watch it, but I was watching the episode this week, and there's a brother and a sister in the show, and the older sister She is a full-on believer in the Christmas story, God, the Christmas story. She's just caught up in the wonder of it all. And she's really bothered that her little brother won't buy in and won't join her in the the fun and the excitement of it all. He's, He's sort of skeptical, very skeptical and logical. And so he keeps asking, this is a bother to her because he's not, he's not really getting it all. And at the end of the show, they're both looking out a window and it starts to snow. And she, he says, he's, he's into scientific kind of stuff. He says, it's amazing how each snowflake is different. And she said, yeah, it takes me three hours to cut out ten snowflakes and God does 50 billion in a moment's time. And uh, she said, that's a miracle. And the brother then responds, do do you believe all the stories in the Bible are true? And she says, yes, I do. And he says, well, I don't know, but the Christmas story is a really good story. To many people, the Christmas story is, is a really good story. But you know, it's, it's, it's much more than that. And I want, I want to look at some things that help us realize what it is. It, it, it's an amazing story story, the star of Bethlehem, the story we read, it's an amazing example of how God is using all that he's made to draw us into a relationship with him. He's the only one that has the power and ability to arrange things like that. He he is, like a child playing with a light bright, sending sending messages to us in this way. It's, It's a fascinating thing to me that science keeps showing us that the stories of the Bible and the Bible itself is true. It keeps it keeps undergirding the the veracity of the scriptures, the the truth of the scriptures. It keeps showing us many times people will think the Bible's wrong here. They'll go back, archaeology proves that the Bible was right. 
that that keeps happening over and over again. I'd like to show you a clip in a few moments um, from a, a video called The Star of Bethlehem. And uh, you can get it and check it out. But Rick Larson, he, he's a lawyer uh, who was drawn into this search. And you can go to BethlehemStar.net and read more about this stuff. But he was drawn into this search of researching the Star of Bethlehem to find out if that could really happen, if, if something like that could really happen in, in the sky. So using uh, an astronomy software program known as Starry Night that I referred to earlier to search the Babylon skies, what he did is he, he, he figured that the wise men were in probably Babylon in that part of the world. And so in this program, you can go back to any date in history and see what was happening in the sky exactly that date. So he went back to 3 B.C., which is when, around the time when Jesus was conceived and born. Uh, the guy was wrong when he picked the dates. Uh, I don't think they found that out for a long time. But um, he went back there, and he began to see what was happening uh, from the vantage point of the Magi, who would have been in the east looking west toward Israel. And he found that... Um, there were some very interesting things going on in the sky. Using the program, he began to match what he read in Scripture with what he saw in the skies. And this, this took several years of going through this. And I'm not an astronomer, but I find this fascinating. There's many explanations that have been given for the Star of Bethlehem. I, I think this one makes sense. You can check it out for yourself. But um, he goes back to the time when Christ was uh, born. And he lines things up in the sky. And the Jupiter is a very bright-looking star. It looks like a star in the sky. It's known as the king planet. And there's a star in, in the time when he goes back to looking at the time of Jesus' birth. There's a star, Regulus, which is the king star. And it is sort of lining up. It's, it's, they're coming together. So Jupiter and Regulus are coming together. It makes a very bright star in the sky. And there, this is all taking place in Leo, the constellation Leo, which is the uh, lion uh, constellation, which is kingly. The tribe of Judah, the kings of Israel came out of the tribe of Judah. But he sees all this happening in the sky, and he thinks Jupiter, and many people have thought Jupiter was the star of Bethlehem. Anyway, he gives this 90-minute presentation, and I'd like to show you a clip, tried to edit it down, but he's showing how God is using the sun, the stars, and the planets to communicate some important events to us, what's going on. So we're going to pick up the video where Larson is showing us what he saw in the sky at the time of Jesus' conception and birth and how it illustrates what was happening uh, in the passage that we read. In the video, he just walked through that passage like I did with you. And then he, showed, he starts talking about Jupiter and Regulus and these things. So let's listen and watch. If we look at the sky and turn on the constellations, we'll see that Jupiter has been crowning Regulus right here in the constellation Leo the Lion. Well, now I can see an association with the Jewish nation. I can see King 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 in Leo. Well, that's pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. But there's something even bigger that I've got to show you that really spooked me when I saw it. 
And to do that, I'm going to take you back to the Bible, to the last book of the Bible. We've just been in the first book of the Bible. Now we're in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Let's take a look and see what John describes. He says, A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. What is the sign? Well, I want you to watch this. It's a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon at her feet, a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his heads. If you understand this, please email me, okay? His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. Hey, here's that scepter again. Who's the child? That's Jesus in his role as king of kings. We saw the, the prediction in Genesis, and here in Revelation, he appears again, and he's got that scepter because he's now the king of kings. So if the child is Jesus, who's the woman? Yeah, that's pretty easy. Okay. And in, in metaphorical terms, who's the dragon that waited at the foot of the woman to devour the child? That's Herod. The dragon is Herod. John elsewhere tells us in Revelation that the, the dragon is Satan, but we know in human terms it was Herod. So we now understand what he's describing is the birth of Jesus, but he sees it in the heavens. I want to show you something now that definitely got all little hairs up on the back of my neck and the back of my arm. and Because uh, what follows Jupiter into the sky as we animate the sky is Virgo, the virgin. And she's clothed in the sun. And she has the moon at her feet. It's just a crescent moon, a very small crescent, barely a visible moon. There's a reason for that. This is Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah. The sheer weight symbolism in the sky on this day blew me away. In September of 3 BC, when Jupiter is coming in a close conjunction with Regulus, the king planet and the king star. That happening in Leo, the lion, representing the nation of Judah, the tribe of Judah. That rises in the sky and behind it rises Virgo, the virgin. And she's clothed in the sun. And she has the moon at her feet. It's exactly what John describes in Revelation 12. It's what he saw in his vision. It's obvious. That got me. When I went the time forward and saw that rise and realized, oh my goodness, that's what John saw. There it is. So I'm looking at all this stuff happening, you know, and I'm, everything's just, you know, really moving me. And I'm thinking, man, if we, this may be the birth of Jesus. And then I thought, wait a minute, maybe not. Because Jewish people and a lot of Christian people believe that uh, life begins at conception. So I thought to myself, well, this might, maybe this is the conception of Jesus. Maybe this is uh, the, the Annunciation, when Gabriel appeared to Mary and, and, and she said, be it done unto me. Well, you can test that. I thought, well, let's just wind forward nine months and see if there's anything uh, interesting happening in the sky. So that's what I did. So let's jump forward nine months. Now, we're still reading from Babylon because uh, I don't think they've left yet. It's now 2 BC. It's, it's June. It's nine months later. Jupiter has finished crowning Regulus in Leo and is now moving backwards through the constellations like it always does. I'm going to not the sunset because I need the sky to be darker. You can see it setting in the west, of course, like everything does, because it's the rotation of the earth. Incidentally, if you're in Babylon and you're looking west, what are you looking toward? Israel. Okay, 
Now I'm going to show you something that you can see in any planetarium around the world. Even if they don't believe in Jesus or you know, the Bible or anything, they're going to show you this at Christmas. Because all planetaria do Christmas shows. That's the only way they can get you in there, right? Um, and they always show this event because this event is simply so spectacular. Whether they believe in God or not, they're going to show you this, this shot. Um, I'm going to kind of cheat as I show it to you, though, because uh, observation back then was all naked eye observation. They had no lenses. So I'm going to cheat. I'm going to zoom in because I want to show you guys. I'm going to take you on the secret of what's happening here. They couldn't zoom, but we can. So I'm going to zoom in way in. So finally, I get those two objects separated. One of them's Jupiter. The other one's another planet. You're going to tell me which one, too. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. That's the mother planet. Venus is the mother planet. So we have Jupiter, the king planet, and Venus, the mother planet, coming into very close conjunction. That seems kind of pregnant, doesn't it? In fact, they got even closer than that. Let me wind time forward just a little bit. What I'm trying to show you is that they really stacked like a figure eight. So they didn't block each other's light. They added what you had then was two stars stacked on top of each other, too close together to separate with the naked eye. And so to an observer, it appeared to be the brightest star anyone alive had ever seen. Pretty amazing. Light bright. God's light bright. Um, I, I'm not an astronomer, and I don't know that I would suggest you build your theology or life on something like that, but God could do it. And it looks like he did. Uh, pretty fun. What, what Larson is saying is, from the very moment God created the universe, he knew exactly when he would enter the world in Jesus Christ and when he would die on the cross, and he marked it with the star, and he illustrated it in the stars. Pretty, pretty fun. Pretty amazing stuff. Our, our maker, God himself, went to all this trouble to arrange history, to arrange the stars in the universe, to step into our world to visit us because he loves us. He, he wants us to come back into a relationship with himself. He wants everyone to recognize him and receive him as king. In John 1, this is talking about Jesus. It says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came into... He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Not everyone in the Christmas story received Jesus. Herod violently opposed him. The religious leaders who knew the facts, they were academic, they had the facts down. They were apathetic toward him. The wise men sought him out and worshipped him. Where are you with Jesus today? Where are you right now with him? I want to encourage you to seek him out, to investigate whether or not he's true. If you haven't yet decided to follow him, ask the questions, investigate, seek, seek him out. We have a guest gift today if you're a guest and you're trying to figure out what it means to follow Christ, there's a guest gift you could pick up on the table, the, the taller table through the double doors called the Case for Christmas. And it gives some evidence for who Jesus is uh, and uh, Christmas itself, some evidence for him and for Christmas itself. So we hope that would help. But 
What the Bible says is all of us, every one of us, every person on the planet has decided to rebel, to go our own way, to, to live life independent from God. That cuts us off from knowing God personally. The Bible also says everyone who turns around from going their own way to go God's way will experience the life and freedom that God desires for them. He, he wants us to turn around, to repent. That's, that's what it means to repent, to do a 180 and go God's way. When you do that, when you trust him with your life, you put your life into his hands. You, you put your life and all that you have and are at his disposal. Then you're forgiven. You have eternal life. So it's a decision no longer to live my way, but to go God's way. When you do that, you have the life that God intends for us. We'd love to help you if you're working through this decision. We would love to help you with that decision. There's a place on your listening or on the back of your communication card, connection card, I should say, uh, where you can let us know that you'd like to meet with someone and talk these things over. Let us know that. We would love to help you get the answers to your questions, to investigate, to move on toward that. Uh, there's also a place, if you don't want to meet with anyone, just let us know that you'd like to know uh, information on beginning a relationship with Christ. We'd love to help. If you've already decided to follow Christ, let the stars bring your main objective into focus. Ephesians 1 says this, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. This is why we exist. If you've decided to follow Christ, you're to be for the praise of his glory. You exist for the glory of God. That's why people were made. That's why Jesus went to the trouble of coming to earth and bringing us back into a relationship with God. We were made to glorify God, and when we do, we know it's really right inside. We're singing that song, All That Is Within Me longs to give glory to God for all that is within me. I want to glorify you, God. When you do that, you know it's right. You sense that we were made for this. The Christmas story and all that God has done to bring us back into a right relationship with him should cause us to give heartfelt praise and thanks to God. As always, Jesus showed his brilliance when he answered a question that a lawyer posed about the most important commandment God had ever given. He said in Mark 12, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. We love him with all our heart and soul. We turn our affection to him, and we appreciate and honor him for what he has done. We, we love him with all our mind. We pay attention to him. We turn our attention to him. And as we're living life, we're thinking, how do I do this in a way that pleases him? We love him with all our strength. We present our resources, our strength, our abilities, all that we have to God to be used for his purpose and honor. That's the most important. Let the stars and the lights that you see this Christmas turn your heart and mind to praise and thank God for what he's done. 
for all these. Now, this is God's will. First Thessalonians 5 says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Honor and thanks. God wants the, as we get, go through the Christmas story, he wants it to remind us of all that he's done to bring us back into a relationship with him. Herod opposed him. The, the religious leaders were apathetic. Some followed to worship. I want, I want to encourage you to seek him out this Christmas, to investigate if you don't know him. As you celebrate the season, ask some questions, get some answers. If you already have decided to follow, set the time aside. As you see the lights, thank and honor and worship God and present yourself to him. I'd like to wrap up this message by suggesting some next steps for you to take. I've suggested some there at the bottom of the listening guide. They're also on the back of the connection card. If you would, please pull the connection card out of the program and finish completing any information or marking these next steps if you'd like to let us know about uh, the next steps that you're going to take. We'd, we'd love to know and pray over that with you. When the offering comes around, when, when the ushers come around, you can drop the card in the offering basket. That'd be great. But here are my suggestions for next steps. First one, investigate Christ for myself. Uh, we'd love to help you with your investigation. If you want to do that, we could... We could, we could pray with you and help you with that. Second step, meet with someone at CIV to talk over what it means to commit to Christ. If you'd like to have a dialogue with one of our leaders uh, on what it means to commit your life to Christ or to know him, we, we'd love to put that together and arrange that. The third step, worship him through and then you fill it in. Maybe God has brought something to mind as far as a personal response as I've talked through this message, something to give, to surrender to him. Uh, Christmas offering is a great opportunity to honor God, to, to give our resources to what he's trying to do in the world. Uh, there's an explanation on the envelope of the different places in the world it's going to go and how we're going to use that offering as it's given. But that's a great way. So you can worship him through uh, your choice, fill in the blank, and then invite a guest to the family Christmas service next, next week. This is a great opportunity as a church family. We're all together, the kids and adults and everyone, and we have a, a special service that we'd love for you to join us. And then invite your friends and family too as well. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us today, we are really glad you're here and want to remind you of the gift we have for you, the case for Christmas on the table to the left out the door. Would you pray with me as the band comes up? Father, we thank you for what we see in Scripture. It's, it's really written by you for our good, for our instruction. And I thank you for cluing us in to what you have been doing and what you've been up to and how you long for us to turn from our own way to go your way so that we can have a relationship with you and grow up strong in you, God. Thank you for what you've done. We honor you and praise you. For this, And I pray that you'd help us, God, to have the strength and remind us to take the next steps you've laid on our hearts today in following you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.